3D printing. What does J-Cal know about 3D printing? I know nothing. All I know is that Rick Fulop is one of the great human beings I've met in my life. As a human being, as a technologist, and as a leader of companies. And I am so delighted to have my good friend Rick Fulop on the program to talk about desktop metal because Rick just spacked desktop metal. When did people start approaching you about the SPAC? When did you, uh, and then how did you make the decision to, to pick a SPAC and explain to people just generally what is a SPAC? Like, just like you explained the first two processes. So uh, the a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company and it's a, a model where somebody, uh, they call it a promoter or, or a, a um, you know, Manager? A manager of a SPAC yeah. will go out and raise capital and build a, build a, a strategy around that and go and find a company that they can go and acquire after the, the SPAC is a publicly listed company. So uh, you, you raise capital, you put it in a trust, you pay um, you know, some you know, small interest uh, return to, to those investors, and then that, that manager will go out and search for a period of a year or two years or whatever the period uh, is, he'll go search for a company. And so that there's approximately $30 billion worth of SPAC capital in the market right now. Incredible. Is, uh, yeah. An increase from last year, an increase from the year before. Um, and it, it's been a while since this has existed. In the past, the people that did a SPAC or raised a SPAC or you know, also known as a blank check company, there were quite rare and and uh you didn't see you didn't see high quality folks attached to them what's really changed is since jamath got involved he has raised the quality of the people that are doing it and you have people um now that that are uh very high quality uh managers uh executing these strategies you've got people like mark stata dragonier who's extremely high quality uh person you have uh Bill, uh, Ack what, Bill Ackerman, is that his name? Bill, Bill Ackman is a very, Ackman. very successful. Yeah. yeah. He's, you've got, um, so, so there's a range of, of very successful uh, folks that, that are uh, put together these, uh, you know, Roger Fraden, who is the vice chairman of Honeywell, is, has got a SPAC. And there's, there's a whole actually, range of so, we can, I'll pull up a chart right now. I'll show you. We, we actually have a chart of this. The number of SPACs created uh, now is, uh, we had a big dip, obviously, after the financial crisis, but now we're at a peak. Uh, Nick, uh, is that 81 there? 81. 81 SPACs yeah. this year have been created, and we're only halfway through the year, so I'm going to assume that's going to double. I don't know. Is that, is that so, 20? What year is that there, Nick? Is that 2018? 2020. That's 2020 with 81. So this thing's going to get more momentum. It probably ends the year over 120, I'm going to guess. Right, right now, there's 110 SPACs looking oh, okay. for for deals and wow. um, the the reality is that um, you know they're specific to a segment and you got to find somebody that is there's like a matchmaking process so you you get a board member with it and in our case we're really lucky to have uh, partnered with Leo Hendry he was the, the fellow that Leo Hendry what, he did land systems back in the day uh, actually he's he was he did uh TCI and AT&T Broadband and Liberty Media. Oh, that Media. Leo Hendry. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I was thinking about another one. Leo Spiegel. Was that? Yeah, was, sorry, anyway, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of Leos going around this industry. So that's fantastic. So you find a high-quality manager. He says, I want to be involved. And he brings how much cash in his back? 
whatever is in the trust. And so now it's not like an IPO. Uh, the trust, the cash has to stick in the trust. The people that are investors in the SPAC have to like the deal. You know, they, they, they can have a proxy vote right before the mergers close. And, uh, and then in order to backstop the deal, in case there's redemptions, you raise what's called a pipe. Uh, which Private is a, investment a, in public entity? Equity. Equity, entity? yeah. Equity, yeah. So that, that is uh, where you get the mutual funds and the long-only investors mm. to participate in the deal. So you have the, the capital that was raised in the SPAC at once, plus the capital that comes from the pipe, uh, and together they form the full deal that gets announced. And the pipe uh, allows you to have a much higher quality uh, group of investors that add add to the value of the of the of the total offering. So and you get to select uh, them. So that is like the original IPO process. It's sort of like skimming the cream of door number one. You get to say, hey, it, I want Fidelity, is. I want Goldman, I want this bank for whatever reason. Our board was a, the allocation committee. We literally had we're super oversubscribed, and we sat down and said, this guy and this guy and this gal. And this fund and that fund, wow! Uh, and and that those are the folks that and and you can actually give them a a uh, meaningful position so that they can build a a um, a longer longer term position in the company. And that's that's a unique feature of this of this wow. approach. That's yeah. yet another benefit. Our guest today uh, spent five years at Apple and 150 days in World of Warcraft. I kid you not, if you add up all the mittens. It may even be more now, we'll find out. Um, and he worked uh, in visual design uh, at Apple, uh, worked a little bit on the M&A team and, and, and led the design team for Apple TV, actually. So we'll hear a little bit about that. And his company is Caffeine.TV. He's a lifelong hacker from Down Under. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ben Kieran. Thank you, Jason. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Really appreciate it. What yeah. did you learn inside of Apple? What makes that company, when you look back on your five years there, because I know you were there for four years and they, they actually gave you credit for that year of when you started Chomp, which I thought was interesting. To make it to the five-year mark is pretty special. They give you that nice certificate signed by Steve Jobs, or I don't know if you could get it by Steve Jobs because I think it would have passed on at that time. Yeah, he, 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 yeah. He, he had passed, unfortunately. So yeah, mine, mine's yeah. from Tim. Yeah. Ah, were you but there when he passed? Um. Or right he, after? Right, just right after. Yeah. Just, yeah. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news? I do, actually. Yeah. I was, uh, so Chomp was operating out of, it, um, uh, it was almost a garage. It wasn't a garage, but almost a garage in San Francisco, just down the road from where Twitter is today. And I got the news and I actually burst into tears. I was physically, yeah. ups, you know, I was really upset about it, as I'm sure many, many, many people were. Yeah. What, what was it? that for you as a kid from Australia who got into coding, that what did he mean to you? Like, what did his, his life's work mean to you? I think that he was somebody that really stood for building something really, 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 really great that he and the team believed in. Like, you know, we're not going to just sort of copy or do the status mm. quo, but like really just hyper-passionate and hyper-believed that they were going to do something um, just just beyond what we've seen in, in the past. And there's, you know, guys like Walt Disney, there's there's like a few people like that that are real heroes to me for sure. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I love that. I find it super inspiring and there's just a lot to learn. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what it meant to me. Yeah, the conviction level and the extreme 
pursuit of excellence, you know, like we're going to paint the back of the fence, you know, kind of that they talked about, like the inside that you don't see is going to be as good as the outside. It was a level of determination for excellence that you just don't see, right? Yeah. Everybody's trying to compromise. He was just a non-compromising individual. You, you never got to meet him in person, I take it. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Super intense. Like when you were in his aura, you know, like he just walked up to me at a conference, the D conference at one point, and he just looked at me and he saw my badge and he goes, I read Engadget every day. It's my favorite blog. And it was just like, he had a, he had a certain intensity to him. And then one time I said to him, you know, Steve, I have a question for you. Why, why doesn't the iPad play, the iPod play like short videos? Like you could put like the Chappelle show or like SNL videos on it. And he looked me directly in the eyes and he said, Jason, nobody wants to look at a postage size stamp video. And I said, you know, Steve, I don't, I kind of would, like if it was just like a short skit of like an SNL thing, I think people would watch a music video. And he's like, Jason, nobody wants to watch a postage size stamp video. And I just said, uh, you know what? You're right. You know what happened two months later? He launched a video iPod. <laughs> it's just like, you're not the guy you want to play poker with. Because I was so convinced I was an idiot at that moment. I was, like, I was so young. And I just said to myself, my God, I'm an idiot. I just said something stupid to Steve Jobs. He's going to think I'm an idiot. And like, I'm a confident guy, but it, he kind of like made me question my own North Star. And then I started coming out and I was like, oh, I get it. He, he wanted to keep that so close to the vest. Um, but you, you got to work on Apple TV and you got to watch Eddie Q do his work. And, you, and they even had you like run a design team. So what's, what's the magic at Apple around design? Like what did you, as somebody who was good at design already, did they make you a better designer? And if so, how? And, and what is it about their philosophy that results in such extraordinary products, products that you instantly know are Apple products? Yeah, so I, I think that, um, you know, there's a very, very strong culture there of everybody wanting to be in the details and, and, and everybody wanting to make it simple and everybody wanting to make it clear and everybody wanting to make it understandable and very human and, and ultimately something just really special for, for customers. And, and so when you've got like a whole culture and company and everybody's kind of in that, that mindset and turning up whatever they're working on, um, the design team plays a really special role in all of that. They're the ones that are actually showing the pixels that are working on the pixels that are really getting into that user experience. Um, and, and the expectation is that everybody's going to talk and discuss and, and be involved at such fidelity and such a level that I've never seen it like that in, 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 anywhere else. It was, it was phenomenal. It was f mm. absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. How do they keep things under wraps so well? Like, what is the conversation they have with you of like, hey, secrecy is important because it seems like everybody buys into it. And when I was at Engadget, we would get leaks from Motorola or, you know, just basically every company was like leak central. And Apple was like Fort Knox. Like you just, nobody gave it up. The only way anything ever came out was like somebody in the supply chain would give us something once in a while, like a leak. But well, how do they maintain that culture, do you think? Well, I, I think that um, the, the, the way in which Apple TV was done, and I can't speak for all of the different yeah. you know, pro products there, but not everybody knows about everything that's going on. Ah, uh, they silo things. And, and so, the teams that have ownership over particular aspects of it, they really want to 
keep it close. It's a, it's a secret and it, they're mm. excited about it and they can't wait to tell you. In fact, one of the things that I believe somebody at Apple said to me early on when joining the company was that when Apple ships a new product, it's like it's like Christmas. People are so excited to open the surprise and then they somebody looked at me and was just like, so, so you don't want to ruin Christmas, do you? <laughs> so you want to ruin Christmas for everybody? It's so yeah. great. It's so, it's when so it, great. You, it's so, that it's makes so, sense. Yeah. And so when everybody's thinking that way, you know, they're, they're just super excited to keep things a secret and, yeah. and, and enjoy the process of ultimately figure out what is the absolute coolest, most amazing thing we could do for a customer. Um, and, and that's kind of in the, you know, there's a lot that goes into making that happen. A lot of, things that have to happen and come together to, to, to deliver on that, to really execute on it. But that's the culture. It's really in the DNA there. It's crazy times right now. And I wanted to focus in uh, an episode here of This Week in Startups as we're all going through this to take one of the people who I've gotten to know over my career as someone who's a calming force, super insightful, and exceptional at running organizations. Uh, and, and that man is Andalori, and he is the CEO of SurveyMonkey. Uh, you've been a big proponent before anybody else, I think, of diversity and inclusion uh, on a corporate level. You famously got Serena Williams to join the board um, and have really championed trying to, to get more women and people of color um, involved in leadership positions. What have you learned on that multi-year journey uh, and leadership position you've had in the industry in this regard in terms of best practices of how to make people feel included and how to draw that talent to your company? Because... A lot of people say, and the, and the cynical thing I hear is, hey, listen, there is a very small population of people, um, you know, available for some of these job roles. And now we're all competing for them because we all want our statistics to change overnight. But we hear this pipeline problem. And I'm using that in quotes. Is there a pipeline problem? Is that BS? And then how do you actually create the environment that draws people in and wants a, a diverse workforce to actually show up as opposed to trying to convince them to show up? Well, thanks for the question and thanks for the good words. Um, so first off, there is fundamentally not a pipeline problem. Okay. Why do there people is, say there is? Why, why is that like the first thing you hear? And people won't say publicly, yes. but we hear it constantly. I didn't get any applications for my CTO position from a black female or my director of sales. I can't find any more Latino you know, executives who have five years in SaaS or whatever. Easy answer. It's an easy answer. That's why people because say Because white executives have networks that lack diversity. Right. And right. so you host a party and all of a sudden you have 90 white people at the party and one black person. And then when you go to recruit a black engineer, you're like, God, I can't find a black engineer. Well, no shit. You don't have the network. So it's not a pipeline issue. It's your challenge and my challenge. And that is on us to recognize that the reason we have that challenge is there is systemic racism. The reason venture capital and private equity and technology companies are dominated by white men is because there is systemic racism in the system. It's not an accident that the fifth generation kid from Yale got the job. It's not that he right. is just way more talented than the black woman from Alabama. It's just that he's been given every advantage in life. And there's some real truth to born on third base. So it's on especially the white allies who are in positions of power with networks as big as yours or capital bases or companies to find what are the things that I can do personally? Where do I have power? Where do I have a voice, products, capital, influence to change the game? Because opportunity is not equally distributed. 
Right. Talent is. And we know this. So, you know, my challenge and, you know, one of the things we did early was to say, hey, let's make our board of directors one where when you look at their faces on the screen, you're proud to say you work at that company. You're proud to say our CEO gives a shit about providing an environment that is diverse, where there is equity and inclusivity is a top priority. And, you know, what I have found is that employees want this. I wanted this when I wasn't, you know, a C-suite executive. I wanted a place that where people were treated fairly, where, you know, the company was decidedly anti-racist. And we have a long way to go. I am not, you know, taking a victory lap by any stretch. We are not diverse enough. We do not have enough black and brown people in positions of power. Um, but we're taking every step we can with our pay and promotion practices, how we're hiring, how much, you know, I spend as much time and money on this as I do on our evaluating our products or hitting our sales goals. And I, you know, my, my message out to every Every CEO out there is like, you're a CEO, you have influence with your board. If not, they're going to bounce you from the job. So take this opportunity to say, I want our board of directors to be diverse. I don't want five white male venture capitalists on our board. And today, um, kudos to our friend uh, Brad Gerstner and Sukinder Singh Cassidy for launching the board challenge. 42 companies, including SurveyMonkey, committed to putting at least one black member on the board of directors. And I think issues like this and issues I saw that like today. That, he was literally, yeah. at the, ta- the day we're taping, he was on CNBC all morning talking about it. Explain what that project is one more time so we all know it. Yeah, it's simple. Um, Brad is a, you know, very celebrated investor. He's got billions of dollars in our management. His 12-year-old, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, said, Dad, what, what are you doing about this? Um, and Brad's got a lot of influence on boards like United and others and got Rich Barton from Zillow and me and 40 plus other people um, to commit to put at least one black person on their board of directors. And if you look, I think in the S&P 500, I think there's 187 companies where the board is all white. 187 of the Fortune 500. So we're talking 36%, 37%, one in three is all white. Check, check my math there, but it's a. It's it an seems actually percentage. reasonably true to me. Yeah. It's, a, it's an absurd percentage. Yeah. And if you think about, I mean, you don't even have a pipeline issue here. Like, this is really just if you're a white CEO and you don't have any person of color on your board, you've got to ask yourself, what do I need to do to make this a priority? Is it important to my employees? Yes, I guarantee you it's important to your employees um, and especially your employees who are black and brown. Is it important to our customers? Well, it should be. Um, is there a shareholder blocking you? There's just no excuse from making this a, a, a mandate that you can deliver on. And there is no pipeline challenge. There are terrific candidates out there. We have Erica James, first black woman to be dean of a Ivy League school. She's the new dean of, of Wharton. And then Serena Williams, who um, is going to be the all-time winningest uh, athlete in the world. Um, and they're incredible influencers on our board. You know, they are bringing so much value and diversity and perspective and judgment and insight uh, across a whole number of areas. So we've been a huge beneficiary. Um, I mean, Serena will text a recruit, you know, the minute I ask her to. Erica is in the world's most interesting board conversations. And there are so many incredible folks who are available to put on your board who can add a ton of value. It's just this is one of those challenges that should get a ton of momentum. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Uh, when we 